From Goldman Sachs Research, this is Allison Nathan. Welcome to Top of Mind, a podcast that explores macroeconomic issues on the minds of our clients. In this episode, we explore whether governments should be doing more to boost the economy by either directly spending more money in the economy, for example, by funding public infrastructure, or by cutting taxes so that people or companies have more money to spend themselves. The counterpart to these types of fiscal policies conducted by governments is monetary policy conducted by central banks. This is typically the first line of defense when economic growth slows because central banks can quickly react by lowering interest rates and taking other measures that work to boost activity. But the problem today is that monetary policy is nearly exhausted in most major economies, with interest rates very low globally, despite the fact that growth and inflation remain disappointing. So there are now growing calls for fiscal policy to play a bigger role to support growth, especially in Europe. Here's Mario Draghi, the former president of the European Central Bank, during his farewell remarks in October. Today, we are in a situation where low interest rates are not delivering the same degree of stimulus as in the past, because the rate of return on investment in the economy has fallen. Monetary policy can still achieve its objective, but it can do so faster and with fewer side effects if fiscal policies are aligned with it. This call for fiscal expansion might seem like a no-brainer. But the downside is that if governments spend more money or take in less revenue by cutting taxes, they're likely going to end up running a budget deficit, and especially if the deficit is large, could end up with high debt levels. Historically, high debt levels have been associated with lower growth over the longer term and increased risk of a crisis. So whether the benefits of running larger fiscal deficits today outweigh the costs is top of mind. To get some perspective on this debate, I first sat down with Olivier Blanchard, who was the chief economist at the International Monetary Fund from 2008 to 2015. He argues that we should be less worried about running fiscal deficits today because low interest rates reduce the future cost and risks around them. And so he sees more room for the use of fiscal policy from here. Nearly by definition, the arithmetic of that dynamic says that if the interest rate is low, and especially if it's lower than the growth rate for some time, then the debt dynamics are much less unattractive. You basically get more fiscal room, you can have larger deficits and pay a smaller price in the future. The risk that you run debt to levels which would require very large primary surpluses is much lower. So it's clear that it increases the room to use fiscal policy. Is it right to believe, though, that rates will stay low for the foreseeable future? Shouldn't we be somewhat worried that markets are just wrong here? Yeah, nothing is ever for sure. So one should always be careful. But I think there are many reasons to think that markets have it right. First, I mean, it is not a fluke. It's an evolution which started in the mid-80s and has been going on more or less steadily since then. But the decrease in real interest rates is really a long trend. If you look at the yield curve, markets are fairly convinced that rates will remain low. If you look at option prices, markets put a very low probability on rates increasing. They could be wrong, 
but also when you look at the factors which are behind the real rates, I'm not sure we know exactly which ones matter how much, but most of them seem like they are going to remain the same and not turn around in the near future. So I think for all these reasons, I would think that the probability that they remain low is high. And if the governments are not sure, and at this stage they can issue long maturity bonds and lock in the rates for 10, 20, even 30 years. How much do you think fiscal stimulus makes sense today purely because interest rates are so low? Or is there a case for fiscal stimulus even beyond this fact? Even if fiscal policy had no effect in the short run on demand. The fact that the interest rate is lower implies that there are aspects of fiscal policy that you may want to reconsider. For example, the case for public investment is clearly stronger the lower the cost of borrowing. But the overwhelming case is really the fact that because monetary policy cannot help, fiscal policy really has to be used to maintain output more or less at potential. That's the main case. And I would say that short of very exotic, much more unconventional measures than the central banks have been willing to take, there is very little room left for monetary policy. It depends where. I mean, clearly in the U.S., we now have a short policy rate, which is positive, so that could decrease. But in places like the Eurozone or Japan, I think what monetary policy can do is marginal. Blanchard is generally agnostic about what type of fiscal measures governments should use, but prefers public investment. I think that a larger deficit will be expansionary, whether it's done through lower taxes or higher spending. There are pros and cons about the measures that you take. There are some measures which are harder to undo later, and therefore you may worry that if you wanted to decrease the deficit later, it might be harder to do. There might be measures which are taken to do good stuff. Public infrastructure, for example, is likely to be seen as doing good stuff on the spending side. There are measures on the tax side which may have stronger effects than others. So I'm basically pragmatic and agnostic that if the deficits were used to finance capital spending, public investment at this stage, I'd be a much happier person. And Blanchard thinks the case for fiscal expansion is most compelling in the euro area, given that the ECB is largely out of ammunition and fiscal balances there are relatively sound. But he doubts they'll ultimately use as much as they need. If you look at Europe, there's a very compelling case which you made and others make for more fiscal expansion today. And yet we are seeing very little fiscal expansion relative to the fact that growth is so low and inflation is so stagnant. Any context about why there's so much hesitancy? So I'm just back from Europe. So I had those discussions. I think there are various aspects. The first one is and they have in place rules which do not allow for much fiscal expansion. And if followed, would actually require fiscal consolidation. Now, as we know, they do not always respect the rules, but the rules still have some effect on behavior. And so countries like Italy, for example, are scared to death of violating the rules. They think they need to do, the markets will punish them. So the rules play a role, but the rules come from somewhere, and they come from the fear of debt, which has some historical validity. That fear of debt is incredibly strong in one country, or at least in one, but maybe in two or three countries the main one being Germany. And it's a discussion which basically refuses to think about the macro aspects, which just think that debt is bad, and the less you have, 
the better. And let's say BP anchored the same way they feel about inflation is anchored. That puts a constraint on German fiscal policy, but by implication on the Eurozone fiscal policy. So it's a mix of rules, beliefs, and wanting to ignore Macron. And I suspect that unless there is a serious slowdown, the Eurozone will not have the fiscal policy that it should have. Do you think it's evolved at all in terms of the thinking yes. there? Yes, it is evolving. Two reasons is that not everybody believes the same thing as the Germans. But the other thing is that there is increasing demand for green investment, which is much stronger in Europe than in the U.S., which is in particular fairly strong in Germany, as it looks like the Greens will be part of the coalition. That gives an angle, which is that even people who don't like that are more open to the notion of investing against global warming and maybe financing some of it by debt. It is the type of measures which must be taken because of the externalities at the European level. So I think there's hope that we see more of that both in countries and maybe in Brussels. But I don't hold my breath. I then turn to our chief economist, Jan Hatzius, who generally agrees with Blanchard that larger deficits and higher debt levels are not particularly problematic for most advanced economies today. I think we should be less concerned than I think many people were, especially in the early post-crisis period when there was a large amount of concern about crowding out, about large deficits that ultimately would be monetized, about high inflation, about a run on government debt markets. A lot of those concerns seemed misplaced to us at the time and I think have now proven pretty clearly to be misplaced. I think the reason why the fears never came close to playing out was that we had economies that were cyclically depressed, high unemployment, low inflation, lots of spare capacity. In that kind of environment for advanced economies with floating exchange rates and inflation targeting central banks, fear of a fiscal crisis really was not a reasonable fear. More broadly, Jan worries far more about the risks created by private sector deficits, or the difference between what individuals and companies spend versus what they save, than government deficits. In my view, private sector deficits raise the risk of a financial crisis to a greater degree than public sector deficits. What's the difference? The difference is that U.S. Treasury or European Treasuries, again, at the aggregate level, or the U.K. Treasury, don't go bankrupt. They don't run out of their ability to borrow in a crisis. They don't lose access to the credit markets, whereas the private sector can lose access to the credit markets. And if that happens in a downturn and the starting point is a large private sector deficit, then you have to see a large retrenchment in private sector spending relative to income, which then deals a significant blow to aggregate demand, puts the economy into recession and can feed on itself in very unpleasant ways. And we've seen that a number of times, not only in the 2008 financial crisis, but in financially driven recessions repeatedly over the last 30 years. Jan also agrees with Blanchard that fiscal stimulus makes the most sense in Europe today and could provide a powerful boost to growth there. He also thinks it could be somewhat helpful in Japan, but in the U.S., not so much. I think in Europe it could boost growth quite a bit. Fiscal multipliers, I think, are going to be relatively large because there's unlikely to be a monetary policy offset. So while 
monetary policy is not likely to ease a large amount further from here. It's also true that if you had a fiscal stimulus that took growth back up from close to zero at the moment to 1% or to 1.5% or even to 2%, and you stayed at that above-trend growth pace for a while, the ECB wouldn't tighten policy in response to it. I think elsewhere, it's a little harder to say as far as Japan is concerned. The Japanese real economy has actually performed quite well. The labor market is relatively tight. So I think the impact that fiscal expansion would have on real output might not be that great. That said, if fiscal expansion led to more upward pressure on employment, at least more incipient upward pressure on employment, and that fed into stronger wage growth and ultimately higher inflation, that would be a good thing. So fiscal policy, I think, could still have real effects if Japan decided to suspend the fiscal consolidation, maybe go in the other direction. I think there is a case to be made that that would be expansionary. But of course, the Japanese deficit is a lot bigger than the deficit specifically in Germany, since the deficit in Germany isn't a deficit, but a surplus. So the debate is different from that perspective, and they're going the other way. In the US, I think it's hardest to make the case for fiscal stimulus on cyclical grounds. One, if you do need stimulus, the Fed can provide it. Two, the economy seems to be growing at about a trend pace, maybe even a little bit above trend still. And three, inflation is much closer to the target than elsewhere. But not everybody is as optimistic about the use of fiscal stimulus. I spoke with Alberto Alessina, a professor of political economy at Harvard, who's well known for his work on austerity, policies designed to support growth by reducing deficits. He thinks consensus has become a bit too short-sighted about the risks around bigger deficits and more debt. Do you think that consensus has just gotten a little bit too sanguine about the lack of risk around larger deficits and yes, debt? Yes, I think so. I mean, before the financial crisis, there was a period that we call the Great Moderation. And overall, this discussion, the cycles are over, we reach nirvana, and everything is great, growth, no inflation, everything is wonderful. Then there was the financial crisis, and the narrative seemed to be, okay, now every five years there's going to be a financial crisis, it's a disaster, everything is collapsing. Now the interest rates are low, and therefore they will be low forever, and therefore debt is not a problem, and we can borrow as much as we want because the interest rates are low. I think we should keep a little bit more of a longer perspective. Yes, interest rates are low. They may be low for a while, but they won't be low forever. And when they will start increasing, usual issues of the cost of debt will reappear first. And second, even recently, even though interest rates were low, in general, some countries that have exceeded in accumulated debt have had very large spread. So. I would be a little bit more prudent about advising for large fiscal stimuli in a lot of countries. Perhaps Germany has the room for doing so, but other countries do not. So I would be a little bit more, I'll put it this way, even-handed in looking at the evidence in the past and for the future. In this context, Alessina thinks that fiscal discipline and austerity are perhaps getting too bad a rap these days. I don't like the word fiscal discipline in the following sense. To have some deficit during recession does not mean 
fiscal lack of discipline. Perfectly disciplined fiscal policy is one that allows deficit to increase during recession and accumulate surplus during booms. I think what I'm about to say I think is important. I think we should get out of this rhetoric that is whenever there is a deficit is fiscal indiscipline or on the opposite side whenever there is austerity there are these terrible people like me that advocate <laughs> poor people to suffer. So let's get out of this morally charged world about economic policy. I think more deficit in Germany to now is probably a very reasonable idea and that there is nothing undisciplined about it. On the other hand, advocating that countries like Italy, Spain, Portugal should have done something about their debt in the middle of the financial crisis was nothing evil or morally despicable, it was just probably a reasonably good policy that has some short-run cost and long-term benefits. And in fact, austerity would probably be never necessary if government followed the appropriate fiscal policies. 90% of the times, austerity is a result of past mistakes. In contrast to Blanchard, Alessina thinks which fiscal measures are used matters. He believes tax cuts are far more productive than increased spending. I think that the discussion about fiscal stimulus is often a little bit too generic. I mean, there is fiscal stimulus and fiscal stimulus. For example, spending more on useless programs or spending more, say, on pensions when countries that are aging would not be a particularly good idea. And general fiscal stimulus is always associated with more spending. There is this view that spending in infrastructure is a great idea, that is very productive. That may be true for some countries. The U.S., for example, may need some investment in infrastructure. But some European countries may actually have even overinvested in infrastructure like Spain and France. So it depends a little bit from country to country. But overall, I think that the fiscal stimulus should come from cutting taxes, not increasing spending, for two reasons. One, because there is now, I think, an avalanche of evidence showing that tax multipliers are much bigger than spending multipliers. So even for given amount of extra deficit due to cutting taxes, the beneficial effect on output are much bigger than an extra deficit coming from raising spending. And second, because government spending is already quite high in Europe, there are some countries that can afford some stimulus, like Germany or some Northern European countries. And other countries, like Italy, they should be very careful about adding extra deficits. But for the country that cannot afford it, I would say since spending multipliers are lower than tax multipliers, I think lowering spending and lowering taxes would actually be expansionary, I think. All that said, the debate about the role that fiscal stimulus should play today is sure to remain top of mind. But in the meantime, Goldman Sachs economists generally agree with Blanchard that while Germany, and in turn the euro area, should see a moderate fiscal boost in 2020, it's likely to be less than they need. Fiscal policy will also probably remain contractionary in Japan. And even in economies like China, which has been using a fair amount of fiscal stimulus to support growth, policymakers will likely only do the bare minimum to avoid a sharp slowdown next year. And as for the major economy that needs it the least, the U.S., 
We think the 2020 election will be important to watch for potentially large shifts in fiscal policy. I'll leave it there for now. If you enjoyed the show, we hope you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or a comment. I'm Allison Nathan. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind at Goldman Sachs, and I'll see you next time. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.